Hey, what is going on? Happy Tuesday. Welcome to another edition of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Strantz, who also covers the team for The Athletic. That's even more relevant than normal today. I'll have more on that in just a moment. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio, also live at Rogers Arena. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. A little bit of a different show today. As I mentioned, Drancer, my co-host, of course, also does great work up at The Athletic. Now, the Canucks had a bit of a later practice today. They didn't get on the ice till 11 which means just now they're getting off the ice and doing their media availabilities. Drancer, hard at work, doing his other job job down in the dressing room for the Canucks, uh, getting quotes, digging into the big stories. He will be up to the broadcast gondola to join me as soon as he can. But for the meantime, uh, you're stuck with me, so get your texts in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. This is your chance to get in all of those questions and takes that uh, that would really tick Drance off. You can get them in now. Uh, I'll treat them with much much greater sympathy and empathy than, than Drancer would. Uh, but it's, uh, it's obviously extra important that Drancer is uh, down covering the team in the dressing room today because... If you haven't been on social media, uh, Bo Horvat took the unusual statement, or I guess I should say the Canucks took the unusual statement. So this happened while they were on the ice uh, practicing about 40 minutes ago. Bo Horvat issued a statement through the Vancouver Canucks, so the Canucks sent it out as a press release, and the statement from Bo Horvat is simply this. I am focused on this season and playing for the Vancouver Canucks, helping the team in any way I can. I will not have any further comments this year about my future. That is from Canucks captain Bo Horvat. Of course, that is in light of and in response to the reporting by Rick Dollywall and also Thomas Drance yesterday about the state of contract negotiations between Bo Horvat and the Vancouver Canucks. Of course, Horvat, the pending UFA, the reporting yesterday, which we detailed at length on our show, was that the Canucks had made their best offer to Bo Horvat. It had been rejected and that the Canucks' attention was now turning to trade possibilities for Horvat. Uh, that reporting has since been echoed by Pierre Lebrun. Elliot Friedman was on with Jeff Merrick today saying that he believes the Canucks and he's heard the Canucks are doing the legwork on a Bo Horvat trade, trying to figure out who's going to be interested, what what a potential deal will look like. So that's the context for the statement. And again, I'll read the statement once more from Bo Horvat. It's very simple, very short, very to the point. He says, I am focused on this season and playing for the Vancouver Canucks, helping the team in any way I can. I will not have any further comments this year about my future. Now, obviously the goal of releasing a statement like that is you're trying to avoid this becoming a distraction, becoming a regular talking point, becoming something that looms larger than the actual action on the ice, the performance of Bo Horvat as an individual, the performance of the team. And I understand that. I think that's admirable from Horvat's perspective. That's very much in line with what we've seen from Horvat in his entire tenure with the Canucks and also specifically as captain of the team. But it is unusual. It's unusual to do this in a statement issued through the team and not just to give a very similar quote to the media after practice. And in fact, just following along on Twitter here, no surprise, as we talk, as I talk to you on the radio, Bo Horvat is in fact having a scrum with the local Vancouver media after practice. And it will not surprise you to know that he's being asked about the statement. 
So, if the idea was that by releasing this statement, we're going to nip this story in the bud, and there we go, we've put it to bed, there's not going to be any more speculation, there's not going to be any more questions, well, obviously, that's that wasn't going to happen. That was not going to be the result of releasing this statement. And, and I even think, you know, I would go as far to say that taking an unusual step like this, it just lends credence to the idea that there's something unusual going on, right? That there's something afoot behind the scenes as it relates to Bo Horvat's future with the Vancouver Canucks. Now, as soon as we have that fresh audio from Bo Horvat, uh, we will bring it to you. We'll bring you audio from Bruce Boudreaux as well. We've got some updated line combinations to talk about with Bo Horvat, uh, or with the Canucks, I should say, as well. i got Bo Horvat on the mind. But I'll throw this question out to you. You know, we talked about it a lot yesterday, obviously, but now having heard the first statement, and just the fact that there was a statement released through the team at all from Bo Horvat saying... He's focused on this season, and he will not have any further comments about his future. Does it change what, where you think this is going? That's the biggest question for me. What what impact does this have on your prediction for the ultimate result here with the Canucks and Bo Horvat? Because, you know, we had a fair number of texts yesterday on the show, basically along the lines of, hey, I thought JT Miller was going to get traded. You know, I thought Brock Besser was maybe going to get traded. Uh, I thought they were going to offload some other salary in the summer. None of that happened. In fact, they signed JT Miller to a big extension. They signed Brock Besser to an extension. So I'll believe it when I see it when it comes to a Bo Horvat trade. All right, we got a lot of people with that perspective. And you know what? That's a very fair perspective. I think that's a very fair perspective to have on this situation. Now, sitting here today, right now, I would bet on Bo Horvat being traded before the trade deadline. But... I don't fault anyone for taking the opposite view, for, for looking at the recent history of the Vancouver Canucks and coming to the conclusion that they will not, in fact, go that far. That they will find some way to keep Bo Horvat around because that's what they do. There's always this talk about big change, but it always ends up preserving the status quo, it seems like at least, with this team. So my question for you is, now seeing this statement from Bo Horvat... Does it change what you think is going to happen at all? Because for me, not that this is, you know, completely flips my opinion. No, no, I definitely thought they were going to work something out. Now I definitely think he's going. But it does just add more evidence to the fact that this is a very real situation. And it seems to be trending towards Bo Horvat being traded. Not imminently, not tomorrow, not this week, probably not before the holiday break, but sometime before the trade deadline this year, right? That is what it says to me. It suggests that, look, this is the situation. It's probably not going to result in a contract. I just want to put it out of my mind, focus on my play, and see where the chips may fall. See where I ultimately end up playing for this year. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, You can get your thoughts in. Uh, This one, Unsigned says, honest question, Jamie, and I don't know if you feel this also, but with the Horvat statement today and considering he is the captain, it honestly just left a really sour taste in my mouth. Uh, It seems kind of cowardly, this texter says. This is someone coming from someone who really enjoys his playing style. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I I would definitely not go as far as to call it cowardly because here's the thing. He's still answering questions from the media. And again, I haven't had a chance to listen to that. It really The scrum really started just as I was getting on air. As soon as we have it, we will bring it to you and we'll, we'll all react together in real time to Bo Horvat's comments. If it was 
okay, I'm releasing this statement, and then literally, I am not going to talk to the media, right? And I and and if they do ask me about it, I'm going to say no comment. I think it would be fair for you to say that leaves a sour taste in my mouth. I think this was an attempt to get ahead of the story. I don't think it was successful, right? If the if the goal was to end speculation about Bo, Bo Horvat's future and his contract status and his trade status, if that was the goal, I don't think this is going to work. I think it's going to backfire. But I do understand the idea of, hey, let's try to do something. Let's try to do something so that this just doesn't spiral into a distraction. Again, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work. But I think that was the goal. I don't think it was necessarily to dodge questions about it because of a, a reluctance or a fear uh, of answering those questions or a lack of courage. Uh, Minor Matt in Abbotsford says, Bo should have worn a t-shirt to the presser if it said no comment. And whenever he got asked about his future, he could have just pointed to the shirt. Now that would have been must-see. That would have been an absolute must-see presser from Bo Horvat. I don't think that's what happened. I don't think that's what happened. Uh, Hudge in Aldergrove says, How has management slash ownership not come out with a statement of their own? Unacceptable. And shows that both are out to lunch on where this team is going. Well, the interesting thing to note is that this statement was released by Bo Horvat through the Canucks. Right? So the Canucks sent out this statement on behalf of Bo Horvat. So there is some collaboration here between Horvat and the team. Now, just to the overall point of do we need to hear from somebody in management on this point, I would certainly like to. Need might be a strong word, but I'd be very, very interested to hear what Jim Rutherford or Patrick Alvin have to say on the subject, what their perspective is on it right now. Now, of course, it's an easy off-ramp to take where you say, look, we're not going to discuss ongoing contract negotiations, but we've also heard Jim Rutherford be very, be very candid in regards to Bo Horvat, in regards to JT Miller going back to last season. It wasn't that long ago that Jim Rutherford, in one of his classic incendiary interviews here, you know, was on with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah and said something along the lines of, hey, the more Bo Horvat scores, the more he might be worth in a trade for us. I'm paraphrasing. But that was the gist of it. So he is, he has been willing to discuss things like this. And yeah, I mean, I agree. I think at a certain point you do need to hear, or it would be very, very nice, I think, to hear uh, it would be very useful to hear from Patrick Alvin or Jim Rutherford. Uh, this one comes in unsigned. It adds more evidence to the fact that Van- Vancouver reporters are like a bunch of wild animals. If there was any sense of normalcy in the media bowl, uh, you, they wouldn't have to, or if there was any sense of nor- normalcy in the media, Bo wouldn't have to go to such an extreme. Uh, I do like the reference to, of course, wild animals as Drance earlier this week or this month or whenever referred to himself as a wild animal in a tie akin to Donkey Kong. Look, Vancouver is a very heated media market, but it's not outside the bounds of what you see in Toronto or Montreal or go down some of the most heated media markets in the United States, Philly, Boston. It's in line with those. So again, maybe that was a consideration here, right? Knowing, oh boy, we're going to get a lot of questions about this. There's going to be a lot of pointed commentary about this. Let's try to get in front of it. I understand that reasoning. But I think you have actually added more fuel to the fire by going about it in this way, rather than just, you know, talking about it, answering those questions, answering those questions honestly. If you say this, if you give this exact statement, but just in verbal form in the scrum after the practice... I think there's much less conversation about it. People kind of shrug and say, yeah, okay, that's about what we, ex- about what we expected from Bo Horvat. And that's how people 
take it, and then people kind of just go about their day. Well, I don't want to say go about their day because it is still the Vancouver media market, and people are still still going to have an awful lot to say about Bo Horvat. But I think there's a very persuasive case to be made that it would be it would made it would have made less news if you do it that way rather than releasing the statement through the team while they're on the ice. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, and you can uh, you can get your thoughts in about Bo Horvat. Uh, this one from Ryan on the Road says, The release statement seems kind of pointless. No, there will always be speculation no matter what they say. That's absolutely right. And again, if the goal was... If the goal was to prevent being asked questions about it, well, as soon as you release the statement, you're going to get questions about the, about the statement. You're going to get those questions, right? That's 100%. 100% how it's going to go. So again, I don't think it was ever going to result in no questions. No questions being asked about this. Now this one, Steve from White Rock says, anybody who moves on from Vancouver is better for it. Bo will play his best hockey outside of Vancouver. And it's unfortunate. I mean, I wish Bo nothing but success. Absolutely nothing but success if indeed he does get traded. And that's still an if, right? That is still very much an if, if indeed he does get traded. Uh, I wish him nothing but success. I think you could make an argument, certainly, that from last year and his goal-scoring record to what we're seeing so far this year, that this is a pretty good chance. There's a pretty good chance that these are the peak seasons of Bo Horvat's career. doesn't mean he won't be very effective wherever he goes with another team in a different role. I, I would bet on him being very effective, but to the idea that he's going to play his best hockey, I would be a little skeptical of that. His most meaningful hockey? That's certainly possible. Very, very much possible. And at some point during the show, we'll try to play back some audio from Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman, who are speculating on some of the teams that could be interested in trading for Bo Horvat's services. And it won't surprise you to know that one of them is the Colorado Avalanche, the defending Stanley Cup champions. They have a massive hole down the middle created by Nazem Kadri's departure. Bo Horvat would look awfully good there. It's easy to, it's easy to see the potential fit and if that's the case, then yeah, maybe not his best hockey, but Bo Horvat would certainly be playing his most meaningful hockey, you would have to expect, uh, with the defending Stanley Cup champions. Alan Calgary texts in, Jamie, a lot of us know that Drancer has faith in this front office, but also admits they had a hard summer. What do you think of this management group? That is from Al in Calgary. Well, that's an interesting question, because first of all, I would say, I have a lot of respect for not just Jim Rutherford's resume, but his ability, right? When you say you have respect for his resume, it sounds like you're saying, oh, well, he was great in the past, but I'm skeptical about it now. I don't think that's the case. I think Jim Rutherford is a really, really smart hockey executive. And all else being equal, I would have a a very high degree of confidence in him assembling a winning team, a contending team. I'm not going to say a Stanley Cup champion team because that's extraordinarily difficult to do. You need a lot of things to go right. You need a lot of breaks to go your way to pull that off. But I have a lot of faith in Jim Rutherford's ability. I didn't like the JT Miller move. And the question for me, before I really kind of commit one way or another to evaluating this management group, and Patrick Alvin, I'm putting on the side a little bit just because we know much less of Patrick Alvin. We haven't heard from him as frequently as we have from Jim Rutherford so far this season. So it's harder for me to evaluate exactly with Patrick Alvin. You know, I think the Bo Horvat result, the end, the culmination of whatever's happening with Bo Horvat will tell us an awful lot 
an awful lot about this management group and how to evaluate them going forward. And one of the points I made with Drance on the show last year, why there was so much focus over and over and over again on JT Miller was we were still waiting to know exactly what the direction that the new management group would take with the Vancouver Canucks is. And that the JT Miller decision, trade, or sign would give us our answer. Now, the interesting thing is they signed JT Miller and almost immediately, I think in large part because of how this season has unfolded so far, it feels like we're right back to wondering, well, what's the direction going to be? You could look at signing JT Miller and extending Brock Besser, signing Ilya Mikheyev as not all-in moves, but as doubling down moves, right? As them saying, you know what? This team's good enough that we're going to bring everyone back, we're going to add a few pieces, and we're going to try to make another push at it. I don't think that's where they currently are. And that's not based on, you know, I'm not an insider like Drancer. That's based on reporting that you hear, but also just reading between the lines or, you know, just reading the <laughs> explicitly reading the lines of what management has had to say. I don't think that's how they currently see things. So we're still in this position where we're waiting to see, well, what's going to happen with Bo Horvat? Are they going to be able to trade Brock Besser? If they do trade Bo Horvat, what kind of return are they prioritizing? I know Drancer has said that it's more young players as opposed to draft picks. I would probably prefer them to be targeting draft picks, but you can certainly do a home run Bo Horvat trade that returns young players. That's not that's absolutely on the table. So it does still feel like we're in this waiting period where before we can start really evaluating the individual moves that this management group makes, we have to know what the direction, what the goal is, what the immediate goal is with this group. I don't know if that answers your question, Alan Calgary, but long story short, I have a lot of faith in Jim Rutherford, but I still have questions about exactly where this is going. I want to talk a a little bit, maybe we'll get into it later in the show, um, about what the next moves that would follow a potential Bo Horvat trade are. What would make sense in a world where you are trading Bo Horvat? Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Again, it is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Drancer is down in the Canucks dressing room here at Rogers Arena, getting quotes, working hard in his other role uh, as a reporter at The Athletic. He'll be up to join us probably sometime in the second segment or maybe maybe to begin the second hour. For me, for right now, I'm flying solo here on Canucks Talk, and you can get your thoughts in. Again, we're reacting to the, the latest piece of drama or, you know, I don't know if drama is the right word, but just another event in Canucks world. <laughs> That gets people, not just in Vancouver, but around the NHL, raising their eyebrows a little bit and talking about the Vancouver Canucks. And that, of course, is Bo Horvat uh, issuing a statement through the team while the team was practicing today, saying, I am focused on this season and playing for the Vancouver Canucks, helping the team in any way I can. I will not have any further comments this year about my future. Uh, again, 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Minor Matt and Abbotsford says the next step should be a letter to season ticket holders. And that's something that we've heard from other texters as well. And of course, the example is the New York Rangers, right? Who did the famous letter and then embarked on a rebuild, but it wasn't a full tear it down tank. They got some lottery odd, Artemi, or lottery luck. Artemi Pernarin falls in their laps a little bit. And boom, you're a conference finalist last year. Now, Maybe not sustainable. Maybe we're seeing some of that last year. Maybe still too reliant on a goalie. But I understand looking at the New York Rangers and what they did and just being honest, being up 
up front with their fans, with their most devoted fans, the season ticket holder, and saying, look, it, look, here's how it's going to be. This is what we're going to do. Montreal, something similar, right? And again, the interesting thing, I think, about both of those comparisons is two extremely passionate hockey markets. Obviously, Montreal, I would say, the most passionate hockey market in the league. They were able to sell it to their fans. So to the question of, the question of, from Minor Matt, of, hey, the next step if they trade Bo, uh, Bo Horvat should be some sort of communication, whether it's a letter to season ticket holder, whether it's an interview, whether it's a statement, whatever the case is, I agree with Minor Matt that, look, obviously your actions are going to speak louder than your words, but words help. Words still say something. Tell us something about where this is going, about what we can expect. What's the timeline? What's the goal? We've heard inklings of that. We've heard, well, maybe we'll have to take a step back. Maybe we'll have to make some unpopular decisions, but it hasn't been a commitment to any one course of action. I think that would go a long way. A Rager says, no way you said the most devoted fans are season ticket holders. Most devoted in terms of their financial commitment, I guess you should say, Rager. I understand what you're saying, right? Obviously, there's a lot of very, very hardcore fans that are not season ticket holders. I understand that. But in terms of the actual financial outlay, it's the season ticket holders. But I get what you're saying. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Arash says, wasn't the Miller situation supposed to tell us about this management group? So far, they're 0 for 1 on franchise changing decisions. And that's very fair. There was this expectation, right, that if they traded JT Miller, not that it would necessarily jumpstart a true rebuild in the classic sense, but that it would give them those assets and that cap flexibility to, I don't know, retool on the fly, I understand, is kind of a dirty word. <laughs> People don't like the implications of that. I get that. But it would at least give them the flexibility to meaningfully improve in the years to come, and it would show that they weren't first and foremost committed to improving in the near term, right? It would show a bit of a longer-term view for the, for where they wanted to take the franchise, which is something that so many people have been seeing. When they don't do that, when they inst- instead sign JT Miller to that extension, obviously it still suggests that the focus is on this season, next season, because those are the years where you still have a pretty high degree of confidence that you're getting at least production, if not overall impact, from JT Miller. And maybe if this, if the way this season had unfolded, and you know they were right now third in the Pacific Division, and Thatcher Demko had stayed healthy and played lights out, and they'd really gotten all the breaks, maybe that's still what we're thinking. But I think the fact that this season almost immediately went off the rails, right, with the seven-game losing streak, and yeah, they've got they've sniffed 500 again, but they haven't been able to break over that hump and really get back in the race, get back in the picture. I think the fact that this season is unfolding like that again it still suggests that there's a possibility, even with JT Miller on the books, even with OEL still on the books, for a meaningful change in direction from this management group. And maybe I'm naive. (laughs) Maybe I'm naive for thinking that that is a possibility. But I do think it's one. And I think it's something we could see. And again, the Bo Horvat, how it unfolds, how if they do trade him, what a trade looks like, what they target in return for Bo Horvat is going to tell us an awful lot. We'll talk more about that. We'll try to get you some audio from the Canucks after practice, from Bruce Boudreaux, from Bo Horvat as well. Get get into more of uh, what we saw in terms of line combinations and lineup decisions 
from practice today as well. Of course, the Canucks will be traveling to Calgary to take on the Flames tomorrow night. 650-650 again is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of great comments coming in. Thanks for putting up with me. Drance will be back soon on the show here. We'll get him involved uh, as soon as we can. More Canucks talk on the way here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, Drancer again, doing his work for the Athletic Down in the Canucks dressing room after practice right now. I'm seeing some quotes come across my Twitter feed, Twitter feed from Bruce Boudreaux, so that scrum is underway. I imagine that shortly after that, Drancer will hustle his way up here uh, to the broadcast gondola and join the show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio at Rogers Arena and 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I do want to get to the lineup that we saw at practice today, but a few more final uh, thoughts. Well, not not final, but final for right now. Thoughts on Bo Horvat uh, and the statement he issued through the team earlier today and again if you are just tuning in that statement was very short very simple as follows I am focused on this season and playing for the Vancouver Canucks helping the team in any way I can I will not have any further comments this year about my future now we're having a good conversation and I was reacting to some texts coming in in the first segment just a bit generally about how I view this management team right now and uh, KY from Langley texts in he says a couple of points Jamie I find it interesting that everyone assumes that Bo even wants to stay in Vancouver. If he wanted out, that could have locked in the JT signing. Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, Joshua, and Bear have been huge wins for Alvin. I think this management has done a better job than they're given credit for. It will take a while to get Benning's odor off of the team. That is KY from Langley. Now, the point about does Bo even want to stay here in Vancouver is an interesting one. It's a fair point. You know, UFA is obviously your signing contract. You need both parties to agree. I find it hard to believe that if the dollar figure was appropriate, that Bo Horvat wouldn't sign to stay here, right? That he and his agent, I'm sure, have a number in mind, a term in mind, other conditions in mind, and if those are met, again, I find it very hard to believe that he wouldn't be willing to stay at Vancouver Canuck. I don't know. I don't have, obviously, any special insight into what Bo Horvat is thinking, but just based on the fact that he was drafted here, he's the captain, he's performed very well, he's been established here for a long time, that that would seem like a safe guess to me. But it's a fair point. And maybe if management was hoping to really score, and you know, I know we heard from Frank Zaravelli on the station yesterday saying their first offer to Bo Horvat in the summer was basically the Ryan Nugent Hopkins deal. That was obviously well, well short of the mark that Bo Horvat was expecting, created some frustration. Maybe management was expecting to hit a real home run hometown type of discount with a Bo Horvat, and he wasn't interested in that, that's fair, but just to the overall idea, I think if the dollar figure was appropriate, yes, I would very much expect uh, that Bo Horvat would be willing to sign in Vancouver. Now, to your other point, your other point, KY, about Kuzmenko, McKay of Joshua Bear, the other wins for Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford, I completely agree with that. Dakota Joshua has been a great find. Ilya Mikheyev living up to his contract so far. Andre Kuzmenko blowing his expectations out of the water. Ethan Bear, all of that. Yeah, those are absolutely really promising moves. They're all, now, depending on maybe your mileage may vary a little bit on Andre Kuzmenko on this, but they're all 
perimeter moves, peripheral moves, fringe moves. They don't get to the core question of what is the direction for this team, right? And now it's important. It's important to be able to nail those fringe types of moves. But there's a reason that people don't look at them and immediately assume, oh, okay, we have full faith, full confidence in this management group, right? Because you're still waiting to see the bigger changes. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, Thomas Jans is going to join us momentarily here, momentarily, so don't worry. Uh, but I did want to read this one as well. Brad and Cloverdale says, if Bo goes, then this better be a rebuild. If the only piece that moves by the deadline is Bo Horvat, then it's a huge missed opportunity. Another text comes in from Mike and Burnaby. He says, if the Canucks take a step back, I think Elias Pettersson would want out. That's from Mike and Burnaby. And look, over this entire conversation about will the Canucks trade Bo Horvat, what does that mean for the direction of the team, what does it say about their salary cap picture, all of that, hanging over all of that, is the question of will they be able to and what will the next deal for Elias Pettersson look like? That is a key question. That's a key question that flows around, that, that hangs over everything we're talking about with this team. Um, Drancer's going to join us momentarily here. Before Drancer hops on, we will hear directly from Bo Horvat, who spoke after Canucks practice. Here is the Canucks captain. Yeah. Um, no, at, uh, at this point, it's just, it's, it's not about me. I mean, uh, you know, I've always wanted to keep this kind of thing confidential, and I've always, um, right from the beginning of the season, uh, when the season started, I just wanted to focus on hockey and focus on the team and, and winning games and, and trying to lead this team by example and, and not let this be a distraction. And, um, you know, that's why I kind of released a statement where I just want to, you know, people to respect my, my privacy and, and my choice to, um, you know, keep this confidential and private. And, and right now I'm just trying to focus on the team. And that's winning games, trying to make the playoffs, and, and uh, I'm trying to lead by example night in and night out. And I feel bad for my teammates having to, you know, hear all about about this, uh, you know, in the media. And, and I, I don't want it to be a distraction, so I apologize to them. And for me it's just uh, focusing on winning hockey games here. Yeah, it, I mean, obviously it takes a toll. Um, you know, getting lots of text messages and my parents and, and wife and, and everybody. So it's, um, you know, it puts a lot of stress on them. Um, but I mean, you know, for the most part, you know, my, my family's been my rock. So, um, you know, they, uh, they're they handling it with class and, and you know, people are respecting their privacy too. And, and, and for me, it's just a matter of, you know, playing hockey right now. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. You know, I want to be a Vancouver Canuck. I'm a Vancouver Canuck right now uh, until they say otherwise. And for me, it's... Um, you know, I've have nothing but respect for this organization, and I'm very loyal to this loyal to this organization, and I'm going to continue to do so. Given your play, and it appears this hasn't been a distraction. You've been playing pretty well. Has it been at all? Do you feel that way? Um, yeah, no. I, I'm just trying to go. Like I said, I, I've tried to put it in the in the back of my mind and, and just go and play and, and and you know try to lead this team to the playoffs and and, and do whatever I can to help the team win. And, um, you know, try not to let it be a distraction. And so far, it's it's been good. And um, you know, I'd like to get some more wins behind it, of course. And we're going to start off by by doing that again um, against Calgary here tomorrow night. What do you expect from the Flames? Uh, they're they're a good hockey team. Uh, obviously, we know what they're what they're all about and and uh, and how they play. They're a big, strong, heavy team, and and um, you know, are, are really good defensively. So we got to bring our best tomorrow night. It's going to be a tough challenge for us, but I think we're up for it. 
You see what happened to Chris Tanev last night? What goes through yeah. your mind? There? No, I know. I'm scared for him. I sent him a text last night, and, and you know, he was he said he was he's doing a lot better, and he's um, you know obviously feeling better. So I'm happy he's, he's going to be okay, and hopefully he'll get back in the lineup soon. That is Canucks captain Bo Horvat speaking after the team practiced at Rogers Arena today and making his dramatic, triumphant arrival in the broadcast gondola here at Rogers Arena is my co-host, Thomas Trance. Yeah, sorry, I had a prearranged one-on-one with... Oh, man, I, don't worry, I explained it. I explained with, the situation. With, with Bo Horvat? Did well, you explain that, that part? I said you were doing your job. I had a prearranged one-on-one with Bo Horvat, and then obviously everything drops yesterday. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get this in. But Horvat, to his credit, you know, it's not just that he put on a master class there. He then dropped it. And chatted with me for 20 minutes. 20 minutes. He gave me 20 minutes after that. After all that he's going through. I'm just saying, that reflects very well on a young man who I think has worn these team's colors with immense pride. Has worn the captain's C with immense pride. Mm -hmm. Has carried himself the right way through some of the leanest years in franchise history. And when he's had a chance, very rarely, far too rarely, has crushed it. In the playoffs. He crushed it in the playoffs as a 19-year-old rookie as the hockey world drooled over 18-year-old Sam Bennett, a player he has long since eclipsed in terms of his quality. Right? He killed it in the bubble. Destroyed everything. Eater of worlds, Bo Horvat. And look, I thought that was another masterclass, right? This is a guy who knows how to handle the media. He's got a lot of reps. He's got a lot of reps doing it. He knows how to handle the room. You think like you think this is going to be a distraction for Bo Horvat? No chance. Come on, like it sucks. Doesn't that make the statement a little unusual though? To you? Because it I agree with you. I like well, I The statement is extremely unusual for a million reasons. Right. It's not just cuz it's Bo Horvat and he's But you know what I mean? It's not it's not it, he is so unflappable that it's yeah, okay, he'll he'll answer some questions after practice I, and then he'll move on with his business. I don't know why a statement was issued, and until I know why a statement was issued, I'm I'm reluctant to opine at too great a length on on why it was. But yeah, I mean, look, what Horvat did absent a statement is all he needed to say. Yeah, like the statement serves no purpose beyond like it's it's one thing. He, I think you put out a, a statement. They're called holding statements typically. Mm. You br- you put out a statement because you're not prepared to really get into it, and you need something to point media to when they inquire, right? Yeah, here you go. Here, we'll have a statement on this, right? Like, we can't get into it, we're not doing an interview, here's the statement. What's odd is to have a statement and then an availability that handles the statement, like, that handles the same, covers the same ground, but better. Right? Like, the Horvat statement, he made it. Yeah. He made it in the locker room. No one, this, the statement now is a curiosity. 40 minutes later. It's a, cur- it's a curiosity. Yeah. It's nothing else, right? Like, yeah. it's really nothing else beyond a curiosity. What, what What's going to resonate with people is Bo Horvat, in the midst of trade rumors, apologizes to teammates, asks for privacy, says he wants the matter kept confidential. That's it. That's the game. That's, that's the whole, like, that's what people will remember here. So, look, obviously interesting dynamics around this team every day. Every day is an interesting day. Bo Horvat is a phenomenal player, and I I believe like I don't believe that this is smoke. I believe that Bo Horvat um, will eventually get dealt. Like I think that's where we're going. I'm not saying it's bulletproof. I'm saying that's where I think this is going. Well, the point I made in the first segment was that you know we had. 
people texting yesterday saying, ah, I'm skeptical. This is this is a replay of what happened with Miller. They're not going to trade him. They're going to sign him. That's fair. I understand that. That's not where I'm currently leaning, but I, I can understand that perspective. If the statement tells you anything, I, I just think the mere act of doing something out of the ordinary suggests that there's out of the ordinary things happening, right? And exploring trade options for your 27, 28-year-old captain is very out of the ordinary. So that that's that and 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 I don't want to say it's oh it's proof that he's going to be traded. No, right? no, no. It's not that. But it but just tilts the needle slightly for me in that direction. It's ah. just another piece of evidence to throw on the pile. Yeah, I mean it should be swinging wildly like the New York Times needle. <laughs> Shout out to my employers. No, I'm kidding. I don't work for the New York Times. <laughs> so yeah, I mean the fact is is that the Look, there, there's a lot going on here. It's not that there's something going on here. There's a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. Every day. Every day. Um, and it's exhausting, I would imagine, if you're Bo Horvat. <laughs> you know? I would think so. I would think it's exhausting. You And, and I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous credit to Bo Horvat that he has performed the way he has and carried himself we've even he heard has. that from jim rutherford right oh yeah they're super that he's impressed. incredibly impressed with how bo horvat has performed but that doesn't mean it's what you want that's doesn't this was this is nobody's preference for it to be unfolding like this right and you know there's a there's a million reasons why it is but as much as you can look at it and say wow he's really doing a good job of playing through it it's still something that you're playing through right it's still an annoying thing uh, that you have to deal with and Look, we'll we'll see where it goes. I mean, I thought the um, the commentary from Bo Horvat that we just played was very Bo Horvat, very appropriate, exactly what I expected to hear. You know, I I don't think it's going to be this ongoing. Every day, there's a new bit of information that we have to parse, and there's a new quote that we have to parse. Bo Horvat's just not that type uh, of oh, player. I, I, the way that he handled it today, I think, removes his need to answer it again. Yeah. We now know he's talked about it, you know, and and Horvat has weight. You know, for all that, like, Horvat has weight with the media pool here. You know, like, he does. He well, just does. Longest tenured Canuck. We all know him. We've all covered him since he was, like, I covered, I covered him with the London Knights because I lived out in Ontario back then. You know, like, I wrote a feature on Nikita Zadorov and Bo Horvat, the same game, and it was a game against the Erie Otters. Connor McDavid. It was there amazing. It was amazing. He blanketed Connor McDavid. He chased him to the wing in the first period. I was watching, thinking, like, oh, my goodness. Um, I didn't see him skate fast, though. I was, like, worried about his speed, like everyone else who watched him at 19. Yeah. Anyway, I got some stuff I'm working on uh, about Bo and and about his scoring jump in production. Um, What's behind it, the work that's gone on behind it, some of the reasons why I'm not fading him as a huge regression candidate, like in my piece today at The Athletic. Um, you know, Horvat's working hard, man, and 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 he's a businessman, and he knows how and he knows how to play this game, and he played it perfectly today. Um, you know, the impact on his family, the apology to his teammates, proud and loyal as a Vancouver Canuck, will be a Vancouver Canuck until they tell him otherwise. I thought it was a masterclass, and uh, yeah, what I mean, what else would you expect? Nothing, nothing from that guy. Uh, Keith, the water guy, says, does trading Horvat? Fix the culture problem that's in the room. Why is this not being addressed? No, I don't think it would. I certainly don't think you improve your team's culture by trading a guy like Bo Horvat, but that's also not the reason you do it, right? There, like 
fixing and improving the culture is one consideration. I think it's a valid consideration when you're talking about what are the next moves for this management group going to be and what they should consider. But it's far from the only consideration. There's a million other things you have to consider as well. And yeah, it's not going to. There, there's no one move you can do that is going to magically turn the Canucks from whatever the culture is in the room right now to the optimal peak winning culture in the NHL. That's a years long process. And yeah. Trading Bo Horvat is not going to improve it. It's not going to maybe start you fixing it, but it is potentially going to help you improve your team down the road, which, look, you got to, uh, at a certain point, you got to win to have a winning culture. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you got to make the team better on the ice if you're going to improve the culture. I'm going to quote a very mediocre philosopher, a man named Kevin Bieksa, ah. from his speech on City Night. Okay? Yeah. He said, he said, and I quote verbatim, there's a Sedin culture to this organization and it's been absorbed by guys like Alex Edler, Chris Tanev, Jacob Markstrom, and our new captain, Bo Horvat, and I've already seen them pass it along to P.D. Quinn and Brock, and they'll pass it along to the next generation of players, and in 20 years, there will still be a Sedin flavor to this organization and the Sedin culture in that dressing room that will transcend any on-ice statistics that they have. All of the guys mentioned in the first bit are gone mm-hmm. if they trade Bo Horvat. Mm-hmm. He's the last link. He's the last link to the last great Canucks team. And he wasn't even on it. No. He just played with the core. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Like, they're, you know. And as you, were ta- as you began to read that, Rager texted in, if anything, removing Bo from the room also removes the last remnants of the Sedine era. Yeah. And as you said, yeah, the other guys, it's very striking actually to hear it. Now, is that needed? Is that needed? Like, you know, history can become a weight around your ankles, but I don't, I don't suspect in this case that it is like you, you're never going to convince me that this room, that this team's culture wouldn't be an awful lot better with at least a couple of Edler, Markstrom, Tanev and Bo Horvat around. Even one, even one, like one of those first three Uh, guys. I think you needed more than one. I think if you just oh keep, sorry one yeah, of the yeah, first yeah. three guys plus both. I think if you like just keep Tanev, it's a remarkably different situation, in a lot of ways. And and look, that's speculative, but no, I don't no, even no. Think I it, don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think those, I think those players had a big voice, and and you know I think that's it's impossible to divorce what we're seeing in all phases from the way that this club has performed. Right? This team, like, what, what, what's constantly on the tip of our tongues in describing this team, Jamie? Inconsistency. Inconsistency. And what, what's the remedy that we always talk about? Accountability. Yeah. Right? Well, there's a real sense, I think, there's real pressure on Bruce Boudreaux to do more to hold this group accountable. And that's why we see Connor Garland, healthy scratch. Brock Besser, almost healthy scratch. JT Miller doesn't play in overtime. Um, you know, we we see that there is external pressure on Bruce Boudreaux to get this group to be uncomfortable, to get more from this group, to get them to be less lackadaisical for five-minute stretches here and there, for, for a period, for a mm-hmm. game. Like, when was the last time you saw this group play a 60-minute game? And if Boudreaux can't do it, how do you rattle this group's cage? Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're hearing items like we're hearing. Yeah. Right? Like, 
I think there's an effort to make sure this group's uncomfortable, to, to, un, to make them understand that they have to earn this. You want to be on this team, you want to be in this organization, you need to earn it. Now, is it unfair that that falls on Horvat? Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, what else can you do? Well, that's the other part of the, you know, is this going to be a distraction conversation? And, again, Bo Horvat is Hopefully so good fuel. at dealing so good at dealing with the media that he's going to forestall that on his end. But has has anything Jim Rutherford done this season suggest that he is, like, worried about creating distractions no. for this team? Quite the opposite. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe let's throw this in. Let's see how they handle this little piece of – of distraction or, or whatever, fuel or drama or controversy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Let's see how they react. The very first season that this franchise made the playoffs, the coach was Phil Maloney, and I think he was also the general manager. And he was a World War II vet, and he had a, uh old uh, grenade <laughs> that obviously wasn't an actual incendiary device. And midway through the season, the team was on a losing streak. And the story, perhaps apocryphal, goes that he walked in, pulled the pin, and threw the grenade <laughs> in. On the, ah! Everyone panics. He just wanted to wake up the room. That's the first time the Canucks made the playoffs, uh, behind or in front of Gary Suitcase Smith, 1974. Um, Maybe it's six. My, uh, my grandpa served in the Air Force during World War II, and inexplicably in the basement of our home, when I was growing up, there was, you know those, like, World War II-era bombs that look like a bowling pin? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's one of those in the basement that he had Super cool. come, come into possession of on his way out of the Air Force. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, all right, interesting. Very cool. I don't think it was live, but I never pulled that uh, that kind of stunt with it. But well, anyways, it called that to mind. Well, no, and the grenade wasn't live either. So the point being, like, has this team played so well that they don't – that they deserve the stability – like has right, they, that management has to really take that into consideration. Yeah, oh, like, we can't oh. create any distractions. Yeah, yeah, oh, like, we can't ruffle the feathers of this group. Right, they, they, they've earned the respect of us trusting that they'll do things the right way. Like, isn't that respect earned? And again, if anyone has earned it, it's Bo Horvat. So it's too bad that it falls on him. But like, you know, let's be real. Let's be real. If there are concerns that the coach is unable to hold this group accountable, what else is there to do, Right. Yep. You, you go on radio and you give the interview you give and you hope that the team responds and, you know, you rattle cages. And you and explore, you do the legwork for trades, for key players. Totally. And and so I think what you're seeing is, you know, the beginning of an understanding that, hey, look, like, more is expected. More is expected from Canucks players than what they've managed to do as a group. And, you know, I, I don't know that more can be expected of Bo Horvat in particular, but... I think that's exp I think that at the end of the day this is just a theory. But can you come up with a theory that better explains why we've had so much drama over the past 5 weeks? Like to me it's an Occam's razor thing. Mm. Well, I think at the very least even if it's not intentional in that way, it's a choice not to like they're obviously not prioritizing limiting it. You know what I mean? Even if it's not intentionally creating it, it's the consideration of will this create drama? Will this, you know, will this be a distraction or whatever or something for the players to deal with is a secondary at best consideration. It's not. It's not at the forefront of their minds right now, and it hasn't been uh, this year. Uh, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keith texts in. The whole process, looking back to Bo Horvat's junior days, just makes me want him to be traded to a new team and crush it in the playoffs. That comes from Keefe. I think that would be really hard for a lot of Canucks fans to see, but I think there would also be 
people very happy on some level. It would be bittersweet to see Bo Horvat get a chance to go on a really deep run with another team, to really do, as you said, in the limited opportunities he's had here in Vancouver, to show what he's capable of doing in the playoffs. All right, there was a practice here at Rogers Arena. There was some new interesting lineup, wrinkles rolled out by Bruce Boudreaux. We'll talk about those. We'll hear from the head coach, Bruce Boudreaux. Brendan Batchelor will join us in the final segment of the show as well. So keep your texts coming in. 650-650. Uh, we'll be back with more Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Drance for the whole hour right now. We're, we're adapting on the fly as big news breaks around the Canucks, uh, but uh, full complement of hosts here for the final hour of the show. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech footwear and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, man, yeah. <laughs> Bo Horvat. Well, so much talk about Bo Horvat. So many texts coming in about Bo Horvat. I'm sure we'll get back into it. Uh, Batch is going to join us. But uh, I did want to talk a little bit about how the Canucks lined up at practice, look ahead a little bit to the game against Calgary, but also this stretch between now and the holiday break in the NHL where the Canucks have five games against Western Conference playoff hopefuls leading up to the holiday break. We'll also hear from Bruce Boudreaux in this segment. But as mentioned, the Canucks back at practice, and we saw one lineup shakeup on Sunday that included JT Miller down the middle. Now, Elias Pettersson wasn't there because he was sick. The way they line up today is also different. Miller back on the wing with Bo Horvat. Jack Stadnika getting a chance on the right wing of that top line. Pedersen is back with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko. Dries, Garland, and Besser is your third line. And then it's Oman, Lazar, and Joshua on the fourth line with Hoaglander being the extra and looking like a potential healthy scratch tomorrow, although we'll see how game day unfolds tomorrow. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tempted, perhaps unfairly, to say, playing the hits. <laughs> We've said it on the um, show. When, when in doubt, scratch Hoglander. Bump, bump him down the lineup. I don't understand, but yes, that seems to be how it how it works. And then on the blue line, this is interesting. Quinn Hughes skating with Ethan Bear, Oliver Ekman Larson and Luke Shen, Kyle Burrows and Tyler Myers, and then Riley Stillman and Travis Dermott uh, setting up as your extras there. So a lot of change, a lot of interesting things going on. We had a text. Oh, that's a liberal use of the word interesting. <laughs> Not for me. Um, <laughs> at Stanika, I'm curious. I'm actually curious to see Stanika on the top line on the wing. You know, him and Miller, that's two pretty large gentlemen with, with a little bit of skill, right? No, I mean, guys I like on the wall. Guys I like. I like the idea of I them like <laughs> forechecking with Bo Horvat as F3 further up. Like, that's a group with size. I could see them being a lot to handle beneath the hash marks. Like, I like that line in my mind's eye. I just don't know why you'd go away from the Hoaglander version of that line where, you know, those guys on the ice, I mean, six goals, four, two against, absolutely crooked underlyings. Like, I mean, what what possibly can Stadnika do better, for, better to complement 
Horvat and Miller than Hoaglander. They've already found the fit. Like, they found the line. They found the line that stabilizes their top six. Just roll with it. And you could, you know, you get back into the accountability argument, right? Which is, oh, hey, Hoaglander had a bad mistake that led to a goal against Minnesota, and this is accountability. But, I mean, so did JT Miller. And he's right there on the first line with Bo Horvat, right? And Hoaglander's out of the lineup. And we know, we know he can hold, and this team can hold Niels Hoaglander accountable, right? We've seen that. <laughs> we have no questions about that. Is that the only player? And I know there's been others that tried to scratch Brock Besser, but it's just why is that always the fallback for accountability, right? Like, even if you do decide, leaving aside the fit of Hoaglander on that line, if you decide, you know what, we got to hold someone accountable here. Why, do, why does it have to be Niels Hoaglander? Yeah. Why does it always have to Hoaglander's be? Hoaglander's like the loud Niels kid Hoaglander. in class who always gets blamed. Yeah. Like, regardless of what they're doing. Um, By the way, I love that, you know, our, we try to make our brand, like, the, the smart show and we're going to dive it deep and, you know, aware of analytics and all that. And then sometimes it's like, Miller and Stanika, both large. <laughs> they're both big. I like it. <laughs> it's the big boy line. <laughs> hey, you it's know what? Lar- large adult sun line. Two big dudes right there. <laughs> Sometimes that's what it comes down to. So here's the subplot of the forward line changes that I'm most eager to track. 37 minutes, Besser drives Garland, zero goals for. Can they get to 50? (laughs) Can they get to 50 minutes? Oh, man. Without another goal. Well, really, that that line is like the island of misfit toys right now, right? It's... (laughs) No, it is. is, It's like, we're not going to scratch them, but... I don't trust those players right now. I'm not going to rely on them. They're going to play the fewest minutes. They're not going to play key situations. They're the guys I don't really want out there. I'm going to put them all together on this line. It's the what, that's what it is. It's the what would you say you do here line. Yeah. You know, like that's what it feels like. Um, and then obviously Mikheyev back with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. That's the right thing. Yeah. That's El- the right thing to do. We Let's- had this uh, text earlier from Ella and Coquitlam who says, uh, Jamie, can you weigh in on Besser being taken off Petey's line and going back? with Sheldon Dries, and I think partly it's about Besser's continued lack of production, right? You give him the opportunity with Elias Pedersen, and he still doesn't look right, even getting to play with by far the team's best forward and best best offensive player. I think it's partly about Besser's performance, but also it's more about, you know, what's been their best line this year? It's Pedersen with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko. So never a bad option to go back to what has clearly been your best line so far yeah, you this know, year. It's really close, though. Like, the fact is is that Besser, the Besser version of that line, there's not a lot to choose from. It's just that the Kuzmenko version of that line has produced more, um, or sorry, has produced the same amount on a per-rate basis, just over a larger sample, right? Like, frankly, the line didn't change that much going from Besser to Kuzmenko in terms of the rate at which it generated expected goals, shots, goals, actual goals, Um so, you know, I, I mean, at the end of the day, with Pedersen going the way he's going, I think you can play him with anybody, to be totally honest. I think he's going to crush it regardless. Yeah, I still would rather go with the – like, I'd rather put out the trio that, again, as you said, has the much larger sample of consistent success this year, right? And we've seen how Kuzmenko and Pedersen can yeah, work but, together. But Besser and Kuzmenko – or, sorry, Besser, Besser, and, Besser and Pedersen have also I, – I mean <sighs> – what I don't understand is it's like if you're getting basically the same results with that line, like, do you, could you not move Mikheyev? Like, you could try that. Could we see Besser, Pedersen, Kuzmenko? I would be open to that. Uh, me too, especially because at least then 
you know, you could build some Mikheyev driven third line, maybe with like Lazar yep, and a defensive oriented third yeah, line. Maybe with Lazar and Joshua or something. I have time for that, right? Like so I don't know. I just I I think Besser I what's he gonna do there? They've played thirty seven minutes, they haven't scored. Yeah, and it it, it hasn't it hasn't looked good. There's nothing going on. I, anyway, whatever. I, I don't. At, at the end of the day, it's one thing to criticize a coach with good options. It's another to criticize Bruce Boudreau in this situation. There are no good options, in my opinion. Uh, this text comes in. We need to keep Kuzmenko off PD's line so we can sign him for cheap next year. Well, you're also you're also damaging the relationship if you're putting him in bad spots in the lineup, especially after after he's demonstrated how well he can play. Yeah, so long as With he's on, Pedersen. so long as he's on PP one, he's going to uh, produce. Like you're not, you're, you can't exactly tell me that you're not putting a guy on PP one in a good situation, especially considering the way this team produces five on four. Um, and then on defense, Bear Hughes. Yeah, that's the headline on the blue line for sure. Is the I mean. I, the, one, I think that you're splitting up, you're going away from Hughes and Shen, which has been the bedrock, right? The, hey, it just works of this defense. And then it's also interesting that you're pairing far and away your most talented puck-moving defensemen together on the top unit, which I'm very curious to see how it does. I would be, I would push back on that. Okay. As a, like, I don't think Bear's movement of the puck, like, his breakout passing, I actually think has been the weak spot of his game to this point. I think his puck management is sort of where he has room to improve. What he's really great at is the retrieval side. Mm-hmm. It's the like it's the sp- specific first pass, and then occasionally because he has the speed, he has the skill, he has you know that hint of like two way toughness, right? So I mean, occasionally you see the neutral zone stuff, but in terms of his breakout passing. Uh, particularly when when they're in control, I, I think he's been a little bit uh, careless at times. I just think his ability to get back and and beat the forecheck is is through the roof. So it's like, it's, do you see what I'm saying? It's like I understand unique. what you're saying. It's not puck moving in the sense of tape to tape stretch passes, but to me, it is puck moving because well, the fact it's all that, it's all puck. Moving. It's all connected, right? Because yeah. the fact that he gets back and retrieves the puck and makes. Oftentimes, a really like it, it might be a really simple play, but he put himself in position to make that simple play, which allows the Canucks to go in the other direction, right? right. So, th- I guess the it, what it comes down to are there di- there's diff- there are different ways to move the puck effectively from your own end yeah. with control. And I just think they have different a different w- method of doing it between them. I'm curious to see if there's enough like cycle stopping heft yep. with them playing together, but they're going to be fast. I'm, I'm also curious to see what. All of the other minutes look like when they're not on the ice together. Yeah. Right? Well, so what? We're looking at Burroughs Myers. Burroughs Myers and OEL Shen. Yeah, OEL Shen. I'm, I, I wonder about the pace of that pair. Yeah, like OEL has really benefited from getting to play with Ethan Bear. No question. Because Ethan Bear has that pace that OEL doesn't have. Luke Shen, love him, doesn't have that. That's not no. what he's bringing to the table. So I like Burroughs. Well, yeah, even he, even uh, I, I remember it was in Ottawa two, two, three weeks ago. I said to Luke, um, you know, you're amazing because you've been the exact same player for 15 years, right? Like 15 years ago, I remember you being a third bear defenseman who's like sturdy and tough. And it's 15 years later and you're still that. And um, and he and he laughed and he said, "Well, it helps because I you can't lose with age what you never had, and I never had speed." <laughs> <laughs> That's um, fantastic. Yeah, Luke Shen, good people. So, 
No, it's a it's a it's a fascinating dynamic. I, I think on the blue line again. I'm not going to criticize Boudreaux wow. when he has no good options. You uh, you criticize me for saying there's lots of interesting things, and then you come with a fascinating dynamic. Yeah, Hughes Bear. Hughes Bear is legitimately fascinating. That's was that's one of the interesting things I was talking about. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought I thought you were referring specifically to Stadnika. No, no, I was talking about the whole lot of things. They're big. Now that's interesting. <laughs> Two big guys right here. <laughs> Large adult sunline. Two big burly guys going up. <laughs> They're starting a moving company. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> Shen. No, but it's not just Baron Hughes. It's also Shen Oyel, right? It's like, how do those two yeah. pairs that feel, um, it feels like you're loading up on their strengths. You know what I'm saying? So yes. instead, of, instead of them being calibrated where one complements the other, it's like they're both they both bring the same thing. Does that work against Calgary on Wednesday? Well, you're taking two pairs where it was the faster, you know, more puck skills, better puck moving defenseman paired with a more traditional physical guy, and you're putting the two the two more skilled guys together and two more physical guys together. And, you know, for a team that has really struggled uh, to effectively break the puck out this year, that concerns me about what it's going to look like against Calgary. We can talk more about that, but first, let's hear from Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux some of his comments after the team practiced at Rogers Arena today. Well, I guess, I mean, I think it's been valuable in my mind. Um, I, I hope it's valuable for them. That's the most important thing. So, I mean, we worked on a lot of things. I think we we're not doing as well as we should, um, especially if it follows a lot of video that we've seen this week too. So, I mean, it shows me that, you know, we're, we're doing whatever we can to play the best we can. You had JT back in the wing in practice today at center the other day. I mean, what's the, the thought there and where you like to see him? Well, I mean... Uh, you know, it's it's. There's a lot of moving parts uh, on this team, and sometimes you want to, when you get a chance to practice, you want to see some combinations together. And you know, we don't have everybody uh, healthy that we'd like to see. I mean, I think when when push comes to shove, JT um, uh, would like to be in the middle. I'd like to have him in the middle. Um, it's the same as Petey last year. Played 30 games on the wing, but I know we wanted to play in the middle. But we have to do what's best that we think for the team. And right now it would be JT playing where he is. What have you liked about Stutnika and what do you see as his role on that line? If you play that? Well, I don't know. He just can skate, you know, it seems every game he gets a chance to score. So, I mean, uh, I think it's a little bit of a confidence thing, but I mean, um, you know, I mean, we think he could be play higher up in the lineup than he, than he would be. He could, he's another potential center, but we think he's better on the wing at this point of his career he hasn't played enough NHL games I think this year at center to 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 really put him there and hope he succeeds at it the club issued a statement on Bo's behalf uh, you know he's not going to talk about his contract situation well then if he's not I'm not (laughs) (laughs) how much of a distraction can something like that be for a player I I don't know it's never happened to me before so I mean uh uh you don't get a lot of those uh (coughs) statements when you're playing in the minors your whole life but um uh, it could be or it couldn't be. I mean, uh, uh, it depends on the person. I mean, I would think that Bo's just going to play as hard as he can and uh, let the chips fall where they may type thing. You've seen quite a bit in 53 weeks here. Yep. Uh, is it harder 
do you think for a team just to play hockey when there's so much focus? I mean, it's, it is what it is, but well, the whole thing is complicates things. I think it it might complicate things. I mean, it's hard for me to say because I come and do work every day and with the same mindset, watching games every night and everything else. So, I mean, uh, whatever you know uh, goes on, I just think of it as as noise. I mean, I don't know every player is different. Uh, I know it rattled a, a few of the players last year at the trading deadline time, but. Um, uh, I think we're all on the same page, and we all want the same thing. And you know, whatever happens, happens. Are you able to tell us what you said to Bo at the end of practice? I just talked to him as my captain. That's all. I mean, it's just nothing extensive. That's Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. <laughs> okay, that exchange between IMAC and Bruce is There's, unreal. First of all, you got the yep. You've seen a lot over the fifty-two weeks. Then, oh then, yeah. <laughs> yep. We That's, should do that. We should do that. I'm going to do that to you at least a couple more times over the – you're going to, like, lead me into something. Yeah, I'm just going to be like, like, yep, yep. <laughs> throw it back. That's accurate. You. And also – and and when Bruce did that, I think it threw Mac just a little bit. Not not like Mac's obviously not going to be rattled by a yup. But, uh, but Mac in advance gave him a, it is what it is. <laughs> the question. I don't know that I've seen that in a while. I love oh, it. Well, so good. Fun times at Rogers Arena. It's today. been an eventful, an eventful calendar year for for Bruce Boudreaux <laughs> in his role as Canucks head coach, to e- say the least. Yep. 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 It sure has. Um, I. I... <laughs> <laughs> You've seen a lot. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's the perfect summary. That's the perfect summary. Um, that sums it up all right. I, I want to ask our producer at some point. Will you just get the yep as a drop? I just I want to refer to it all the time. Please. By the way, I can't believe you know we are the the official show of the salary cap here on Sports at Six Fifty. Are we? Well, I mean, really. <laughs> come on, come on. Who else? Who else would it be? <laughs> yeah. Who else would it be? Stiff competition there. Uh, and we've made it almost uh, almost 90 minutes into the show and, and haven't talked about salary cap news from the NHL, from Gary Bettman himself. Oddly conservative. Usually, yes. usually I'm like, it's only going to go up a million despite what they say. And, and this time they're coming out saying, hey, it's only going it's up only a million. It's only going to go up a million. That's Gary Bettman speaking at the Board of Governors meeting, addressing the media, says it will likely only increase by one million for next season. Does leave the door open. Says there's a chance it could go up by around three million, but he says, uh, depending on revenues, how they play out. But we'll have to see, is what Gary Bettman says. So a one million increase would put the cap at eighty three point five million. We dove into the cap numbers a little bit yesterday, so we won't do it at length here for the Canucks. But I mean, obviously that does very very little to alleviate the uh, or alleviate the immense immense salary cap pressure that they're on and i mean the other other thing i was going to say drancer is if you're a if you're a canucks fan listening and you're you know desperately hoping for that bigger bump in the salary cap this year you you got to start rooting for the toronto maple leafs to go on a deep run but what is the single i don't think anyone wants to see that the James. single thing that could most impact the salary cap happening in the stanley cup playoffs it's it's the leafs it's the leafs going deep a big revenue team the biggest revenue team going on a deep run i'm not saying i'm rooting for it I'm not saying I'm rooting for it. I'm just saying if you uh, just don't say that I'm rooting. If for you it. are desperate, well, we all. I mean that that goes without saying, Drancer. Obviously, if you are desperate, if you are desperate 
for uh, for the salary cap to go up more. That's that's what you have to be cheering for. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Brand- <laughs> I'll, re- I'll save that tweet for later. Why? Uh, no, never mind. It's it's going back to the yup comment from Bruce Boudreaux. Oh, come on, I'm 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 here for the Bra- yup content. Brandon says it reminds me of King of the Hill, King of the Hill, when they're all like standing around in the alley drinking beer, and they just yup. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's the only comment. Boomhauer Boudreaux. <laughs> I love that. Also, Gert from Surrey says a million increase should be enough to sign Horvat, right? It's a seven million offer. The cap's going up by a million. Boom! There's your extra million. Make it happen. Make it happen. Good luck with that. Yes. Good luck with that indeed. So just before we get to the other side, we uh, get Batch on the show. We'll get his thoughts on everything that unfolded here at Rogers Arena today. The statement from Bo Horvat, where that's going, all of that. You know, let's do just a quick look ahead to these next five games. And again, as I said, five games against teams that are all in the Western Conference playoff mix to varying degrees, right? You've got teams that are in the top three in their division, teams like St. Louis, which are on the outside looking in as well. You know, it was really six, but they started it with a loss at home to the Minnesota Wild against a, uh, you know, a, a tired traveling team like the Minnesota Wild. But now you have these five games and it's so tempting to look at this as kind of a measuring stick or a turning point in the season you know what can they do can they position themselves coming out of the holiday break to really make a run and hey who knows maybe they'll go four and one maybe they'll go five and oh on these games and really get back into the race it's just so hard to believe that we're going to see anything like that Drancer I mean what has Bruce Boudreaux said so many times right that it's two steps forward one step back or one step forward two step back or whatever the case is right but you ultimately kind of end up right back where you started, and I just look at this sequence coming up for the Canucks, and that's kind of my base expectation going in, is that as tempting as it is to look at it and say this is going to be a make or break, they're probably not going to ace it with flying colors, and they're probably not going to go you know, 0-5 to really get into the Connor Bedard sweepstakes either. We'll probably be coming back after the holiday break talking about a team that's you know hovering right around the 500 mark in the NHL standings. That sounds about right. You, you you missed a perfect opportunity to hit me with the yup. Yep. You missed yep, a perfect right. opportunity. Sorry about that. Um, my yup watch was off. Hey, um, no, I think the fact is is that the Canucks are, you know, this is who they are, right? Like this is who they are. They are not great, and they're not bad. Like this is what the mushy middle looks like. It looks like win streaks sometimes, and also losing streaks sometimes, right? It looks like getting absolutely throttled by the last three good teams they've played and, and eking out overtime losses against the bad teams they've played. They're better than some. They're worse than others. I, I know that's not like the best sports radio hot take. <laughs> but this is what average looks like. You know, and, and I sort of grade them out as being modestly below average. But but it's it's shades of average, right? Like, even the people who are like, you're too negative about this team are only talking about shades of above average. They can make the playoffs and anything can happen. That's sort of the the argument, like, when you have goaltending like that, when you have a power play like that, and that's also the thing, right? Like, their five-on-five form is basically consistent with where they're at in the standings. It's just that I expect them to outperform their five-on-five form because of the, the edge they usually have in net and don't at the moment, and because of the edge they usually have on the power play and do still at the moment, despite the, the game they had against Minnesota. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see here, but I, I would be surprised, honestly, if they, like, blow a flat before Christmas, I expect that they'll, you know, 
perform relatively well. I, I expect that they'll win a couple, lose a couple. Well, yeah, know? and the, the flip side of, oh, there's these, it's these five games against Western Conference playoff hopefuls, none of them, none of those teams are necessarily playing like juggernauts right now, right? I know no. you're, you're bullish on the Flames' chances, but they're in a bit of a tough spot at the moment. You know, Chris Tanev injured uh, all of that. The Jets... They've got really good results, but there's questions about their underlying play. St. Louis, we know, has been really, really up and down this year, et cetera, et cetera. Seattle, Edmonton, always questions there. So, yeah, it's not – it's a vital stretch if you're still looking at this as can they make the playoffs, and that's the conversation you're having. But it's not a, oh, man, this is an absolute murderer's row of opponents for the Canucks coming up. So, yeah, like three and two, two and three, something like that. Five points, six points seems like the most likely bet based on everything we've seen from this team so far this season. All right, Brendan Batchelor is going to join us in the next segment. We'll get his take on all things Canucks right now. Keep your thoughts coming in as well. Final segment of the show coming up. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live at Rogers Arena. Final segment of the show here. Brendan Batchelor is going to join us momentarily. First, I want to tell you, Sportsnet 650 has teamed up with the Greater Vancouver Food Bank for Food Bank Friday. It's a virtual fundraiser for the Food Bank this Friday, December 16th. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., it raises important funds for accessible, healthy, and sustainable food for individuals and families. And you can donate today, right now, by text message to 30333. That's 30333. Here's how you do it. A carrot emoji donates $5. A banana donates $10. And a heart donates $25. So you can send your emojis in. Again, it's 30333. Standard text charges apply. Text charges apply. Donations close this Friday at 6 p.m. makes a huge difference, so please, if you are able, uh, consider donating. Don't send your emojis to us, to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text. I mean, you can, but they won't donate the money. Send them to 30333. Again, it's a carrot for $5, a banana for $10, a heart for $25. Uh, on that note, now joining us, he is the voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, our guy, Brendan Batchelor. Batch, how's it going, man? It's going well. I shudder to think what emojis you guys are going to be getting in the next few minutes. <laughs> well, there was the, one the year. Lumber text line. There was one really excellent year of the Food Bank Friday uh, event here at 650 where the emojis were the eggplant and the peach. Uh, and yeah. that was great. I enjoyed that. I think they should do that every year. But we're, we're carrots and hearts and, uh, and bananas this year. So that's fine. But we'll see what emojis come in. So. Batch, the Bo Horvat reporting from uh, from Rick Dollywall and Thomas Drance here as well comes out yesterday. Then today, while they're on the ice at practice, Bo Horvat releases a statement saying he's not going to be commenting further on his future with the team. He then does, of course, a media scrum after practice as well. What's your reaction to how things unfolded today at Rogers Arena on the Bo Horvat front? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can understand why... Uh, Horvat and the hockey club, or, or whether it was Horvat's camp that wanted the statement out, or the hockey club that did, I, I guess we don't really know the answer. But I can understand why you want to get ahead of what was going to be a, a, a very busy scrum for Horvat. Bad, you okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm battling. I'm <laughs> so, um, yep. 
uh, <laughs> as I was saying before a throat bubble uh, derailed this hit. <laughs> I, I can understand why um, why they they wanted to get in front of it, but at the same time, Horvat came out and he talked about it anyways right afterwards. So I'm not exactly sure what um, you know what it accomplished, but at the same time. He wasn't asked point blank about whether the the reports were true. He wasn't asked point blank about whether he wants to remain a Vancouver Canuck, although he sort of volunteered that information himself, saying that, you know, that's still what he wants. But I guess we'll have to see how things carry forward from here. Batch, was that the most Bo Horvat media availability you've ever seen? Yeah, it was pretty close. Um, <laughs> you know, he uh, he he said all the right things. He hit all the right notes. He didn't say anything that was going to make headlines or that would be seen as inflammatory. And, you know, he continued to be the good team guy that he's been, you know, throughout his time here where he talked about prioritizing the team. He apologized to his teammates for the distraction that his contract situation has been, which I found really interesting because it clearly hasn't been something that's affected his play based on the year he's had. But, you know, that's that's essentially what I would expect from Bo Horvat is class uh, without rocking the boat, saying what needed to be said and, and answering the questions that were asked without, you know, getting his back up and having to talk about something that, you know, the statement had just said, he didn't want to talk about, and, uh, you know, that that is Bo. And in many ways, from a media perspective, we're going to miss that in the Canucks dressing room if or when he is moved out of town. It, it just makes it, you know, it can be the correct hockey decision, but the fact that he is so adept at handling those parts of the responsibilities of being captain, it just makes it all the more difficult to, uh, to consider trading him, even though that's where it seems like it's going at this point, Batch. Well, yeah, and I, I've said as well on these airwaves a couple of times that because of what Bo Horvat has brought and what he continues to bring both to this club off the ice and on the ice, if they don't get this situation right, it could be catastrophic for them. Now, you know, in, in the short term, trading Bo Horvat is going to make them a, a worse team on the ice, you would have to think. Obviously, that depends on, on what they get in return. But, you know, it's one of those situations where they can't really afford to miss on this, whether it's with the return in the trade, whether it's, you know, with how they manage what they do at the center ice position, if and when he is moved on. Because, you know, I've seen this said a couple of places today, and I kind of agree with it, that as much as moving Bo Horvat is probably the right decision for this organization, as soon as you move Bo Horvat, you're looking for another player that brings a lot of the same skill sets that you just lost with Bo Horvat. And then you add in the off-ice stuff, the statesmanship that he exudes being the captain of a Canadian NHL team, his ability to speak on a variety of topics that aren't just related to on-ice things, whether it be, you know, um, you know what happened in the bubble where he, is, he was one of the players front and center you know, standing up and saying that they weren't going to play in, in recognition of, of some of the racial injustices that were happening at the time. You know, he spoke on the Don Cherry uh, comments that, you know, ultimately ended up with Cherry no longer being on Hockey Night in Canada and, and spoke very well about that situation, I thought. So these are all things that you can't teach, and these are all things that aren't necessarily expected of a hockey player, 
but that he has exuded during his time here as as captain of this hockey club. And that's not going to be something that will be easy to replace with this group if indeed it heads towards the trade like we think it does. <laughs> what 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 would what did you make of Yupgate? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. Ian McIntyre says you've seen a lot in your 53 weeks as Canucks head coach Bruce and, and Boudreaux, Boudreaux responds flatly with, "Yep." I mean, <laughs> was that the most Bruce wrong. Boudreaux moment of the year? Yeah, he's not wrong. I mean, <laughs> no, no, he's been, not. We've been there for all yep. 53 weeks too, Drancer. Like, <laughs> what haven't we seen in the last year and a week? Um, so, you know, from from the the dizzying highs of this group getting on the kind of run they did last December and giving belief to a, a fan base and an organization that didn't have any when Boudreaux walked in the door to the lows of, you know, some of the struggles we've seen them have out of the gate this year. And, you know, all of the debate and conjecture around, you know, Boudreaux's history and, and Jim Rutherford's comments on after hours and, and all of those things. There's one thing that you cannot say about the last year for the Vancouver Canucks. You can, you know, you can call it a lot of things, but you cannot call it boring because it certainly hasn't been. Do you, what do you read into the steady stream of information about where this club is at? Like, do you think that it reflects organizational dissatisfaction with the inconsistency that we've seen on a night-to-night basis. So you're talking about like some of the, the stuff that's coming out in the media about the Horvath well, stuff? or st- Stuff that's coming out in the media, but I'm drawing a straight line from after hours through to uh, the people show interview through to uh, the steady stream of information that's been reported uh, by a variety of the you know mo- most reliable reporters in this market and also me. Yeah, well, it seems to me to be very calculated. That's how I would describe it, is, you know, this is not an organization that lets information out willy-nilly. We've learned that from, you know, the time that Jim Rutherford stepped into the president's role, that he definitely wants to control the flow of information, wants to control the message. And so when there is a message that comes out, you know, it's, it's my inference or you know I, I think it's somewhat implied that that message was intended to come out for a specific purpose so that's why and i know you know you've done some great reporting on this transfer as have others but i'm still a little bit skeptical as to whether this truly is the end of the road for horvat and the vancouver canucks and there will be a trade or if this information coming out now at this time at this point in the season, you know, with still time to go before the trade deadline, with still time to go before the holiday roster freeze, if the information coming out now isn't slightly calculated as well, and potentially with regards to, you know, maybe a potential extension eventually. I know that that doesn't seem to be the case right now, but I'm not willing to rule anything out with this management group because I think when we hear something about the Canucks in the media – it's most likely because we were intended to hear it. In conversation with Brendan Batchelor here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650, and I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the lineup wrinkles we saw on the ice at Rogers Arena today. Batch ahead of the game against Calgary 
tomorrow. And one of the interesting things for me is a- after getting a look at him down the middle in practice on Sunday, JT Miller back on the wing, you know, on the, the top line technically based on jersey color and how it will be in your tweet <laughs> about it, how it was in your tweet about it today. He's back there with Bo Horvat on the wing, Jack Sidnika there as well. And there's been so much talk of accountability for the Canucks players, right? And we've seen, you know, Connor Garland be a healthy scratch. Brock Besser almost was. Now JT Miller, after having that that brutal turnover in the Minnesota game that, that puts Minnesota up 2 nothing, it looked like maybe he was going to move down the lineup, but today he's right back on the top line. Does there need to be – I'm not saying necessarily a healthy scratch, but there, does, does there need to be some form of greater accountability for JT Miller right now? Um, that's a hard question to answer because I think JT Miller is different than some of those other players that we're talking about where, you know, yes, Miller's had the turnovers and he's had bad games and his puck management and defensive play is something that he certainly needs to improve upon. But the one thing that JT Miller continues to do that some of those other guys haven't done is produce, right? You look at his point totals, and they've dipped at times this year, but for the most part, he's been a consistent player on the score sheet. Can you say that about Brock Besser? No, you can't. Can you say that about Connor Garland? No, you can't. Even Andre Kuzmenko, uh, who I think has been really good this year and has provided offense in spurts, hasn't necessarily been a guy that every night is hitting the score sheet. He has big games. He has good stretches. And, uh, again, not to take anything away from him, and he's only had, what, the one healthy scratch and I can't imagine we're going to see another one from him uh this year because of you know how his game has really evolved at the NHL level to being that of a guy that can potentially create offense on his own rather than being a complimentary player on a line but all of that said JT Miller can turn the puck over a bunch he can make bad decisions in his own zone but what is he continuing to do put up points and what does this team need to do to win games they need to outscore their problems even if JT Miller is one of those problems. He's a guy that helps you get on the score sheet, too. So, um, you know, as, as much as I, I know I've seen it a lot in my mentions that fans would like to see him demoted down the lineup or even scratched, and when other players are scratched instead of him, people are saying, you know, why isn't Miller ever hitting the press box when these other players are? It's because of that consistent offensive production, and for Bruce Boudreau as a guy that needs to try and win games here, he doesn't have a ton of guys that produce with the consistency that Miller does. So I understand why that hasn't happened to a certain extent. Whether it should is another matter. Um, you know, I, I think Miller could benefit from moving down the lineup and, and you know, focusing on his defensive game a little bit. But uh, at the same time, if you're moving him down the lineup, you're taking minutes away from him, which you know, removes the possibility potentially of him producing to a level that he can. So, you know, as much as, you know, you see the mistakes from Miller and you think, well, other guys that have scratched don't make mistakes like that. Yeah, they, they may have been scratched while not making obvious mistakes like the, the turnover on the shorthanded goal against Minnesota, but they also don't produce like JT Miller does, and that's what keeps him up the lineup consistently. Pat, remember when we had you on a couple of weeks ago and you were like, I'd say something and then Drance will bring up stats and then I have to rethink it? Yeah, is that going to happen on the air right now? <laughs> We're going to do it right now. You ready? You ready? Okay, yeah. Let's go. Bring it. Here's, here's Canucks forwards ranked by five-on-five five scoring. Elias Pettersson, 20. Bo Horvat, 15. Andre Kuzmenko, 14. Ilya Mikheyev, 14. Brock Besser, 11. JT Miller, 9. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there so, you go. So, I mean, look, I'm the foremost JT Miller defender. I don't think his defensive play is an issue at all. 
on the wing. In fact, I think he's their best matchup winger, uh, maybe aside from Mikheyev, when he's on the wing. But to cite consistent offense, I mean, is it that he's been more consistent than a player like Besser? Or is it that he's the initiator on the power play? Yeah, well, that, that's probably fair. That you know, he's a he's a guy that that runs their power play. A lot of the power play goes through him, and so uh, he, his production, I guess, oftentimes is veiled by those power play numbers. Which, to be fair, is probably the case for a lot of guys that play on that top, top power play unit because it is so successful. But um, yeah. you know, clearly, Boudreaux sees value in him consistently being in the lineup, and I wonder, Drance, and, and let me get your thoughts on this because I don't want to commit some to something and have you prove me wrong again. Um, but I think Tyler Myers at times gets a worse rap than maybe he deserves in this market because when he makes mistakes, they are loud mistakes, yes. right? Like they're very obvious. Everybody can see that they've happened. Is that something that JT Miller maybe is guilty of too, where his mistakes are so obvious that everyone can see them? And as a result, people get fired up and want him out of the lineup. I think that's completely fair, and I'll say this too. The thing that JT Miller does that gets him the most scorn in this market is, you know, uh, the series of, you know, behind-the-back passes or the pass that goes tape-to-tape onto the Minnesota Wild forward stick Connor Dewar for the goal. Um, Do you think this power play is better if JT Miller's not willing to take chances? Like, part of the reason it's so good is that JT Miller's kind of stirring the drink with his passing game. Like, I think you need to accept that the occasional miss is is part and parcel with some of those moments of just absolute jaw-dropping awe that the Canucks PP1 can create. Well, yeah, that would be, my, that would be that. my defense of Miller in this case. Yeah, and I, I agree with that to a certain extent, although I think there are Oh, a bad play is a bad play. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying that's the, that's the price of doing business if you're letting yeah. Miller initiate. Well, and I think there are times where when Miller maybe isn't producing or isn't feeling confident, he tries to force some of those plays. And that's where some of those mistakes happen, right? Where I can remember numerous times over the last couple of years seeing him try a pass through the seam that looks like it has a very low percentage chance of getting through. And again, he's a player that can make big plays, can thread the needle on some of those passes to the point where you know, he's going to be uh, uh, someone that is a catalyst on your power play and helps you create offense. But there are times where there's a simple play there. He opts for the more difficult one. The pass gets picked off, and, you know, either it's an odd man rush the other way for the other team or it's a puck that just gets cleared and it relieves all the pressure that they might have on their power play. So um, you're right. You know, he makes good plays, and sometimes players that have the puck on their stick are going to turn the puck over. You know, that's you can't turn the puck over if you don't have the puck. And for a guy that has the puck a lot on the power play, it's going to happen. And he's even said that in the media uh, in the past week, that, you know, look, I've got the puck a lot. Sometimes I'm going to turn it over. That's part of it. But it's when he tries to force those passes that, to me, clearly seem like they're not there, that he gets into trouble. And, you know, that seems to happen for me when he's low on confidence or is trying to do too much to help this group get wins. 
couple more minutes here with uh, Brendan Batchelor on Canucks Talk. Hopefully not our last hit ever with you, Batch. Hopefully you'll come back, even <laughs> even if Drance keeps correcting you. Batch, Batch loves sparring, man. That's what's so great about him. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's all good. It's just inside baseball for the listeners because it happens most days at the rink anyway. So. <laughs> I really am go. this insufferable, listeners, <laughs> if you were wondering. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I want Before we let you go, though, Batch, I did want to ask you, what are the other interesting things from practice? Quinn Hughes and Ethan Bear skating on a pairing. Now, look, it's not game day. We'll see what they look like uh, at, in Calgary tomorrow and in warm-up and in, when the puck actually drops. But if that is a pairing, how uh, how eager are you to see what that pairing can do for the Canucks on the blue I, line? I, I like the idea of seeing what that pairing can do. I'm scared of what the other two pairings yep. look like with those guys playing together, I think, is the – the way to put it, you know, they would have the ability, I think, to transition the puck. Uh, you know, obviously any pairing that Quinn Hughes is on is automatically going to transition the puck better than any other pairing on the Canucks. But, you know, the fact that Bear is there too, and, you know, I heard you guys talking about it earlier as a guy that can get back to pucks and, and have more time to make plays with it because of his skating ability to get back um, and potentially get the puck into Hughes' hands to keep the transition more quickly – you know, it's it's an exciting possibility of what they might be able to do together. I'm just not, you know, holding out hope that that pairing is going to stick together for too long because even if they are a really good fit with each other, you know, the opportunity cost of what happens, you know, the other, I don't know what you want to say, 35 minutes of the game that they're not on the ice together, you know, is something that, that would concern me and, you know, as you guys were talking about earlier, the, the OEL-Shen pairing to me feels slow. And as much as Shen has been consistent, and I think with the way he plays, overcomes his lack of speed by smart positioning and hockey sense a lot of the time, I just don't know how well that pairing is going to fare together. And as a result, I don't know how long they'll be kept together. And the same goes for the Hughes-Bear pairing, even though it might be the best pairing that the Canucks could put together at the moment. Batch, always appreciate it, man, even though uh, even though Drance is looking for some times to correct you on the air. But we always appreciate the time. We'll talk again soon, buddy. It's okay. We all need to be uh, humble to a certain extent. Yes. I'm more than happy to admit when I'm wrong. We just have to teach Drance that he has to be willing to do that, too, sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, all right. That, that, that would ruin the bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and let true. me, and let me quote you some stats. you got a reputation to uphold here. Yeah. Let me, let, and, let me, and let me quote you some stats that show you why it would ruin the bit. <laughs> right. we'll, talk, we'll talk soon, buddy. Yeah. Thanks, boys. That uh, is Batch, uh, Batch is the best. Brendan Bachelor, voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. I thought you were going to say, yeah, I just have to be wrong first. <laughs> oh, no, I, I am going to be wrong. I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what's... Yeah, this, but that's not the bit. The, no, I, I don't actually have know, a bit I where know, I always I have to be right. Here's one thing I will say, though. I, I, I do think I've been on a, like, being right streak <laughs> that itself is unsustainable. <laughs> like, I will not... I will not Continue to be right at this rate. That is although fantastic. Besser, people would point to Besser and be like, "You haven't been right about Besser," and I think that's, that's probably that's probably fair. That's fair. So I think that's absolutely fair. But I mean, there's going to be some. I, th- I mean, I still think Besser's a really good player, so I'm not worried well, somebody, about that. Somebody texted in earlier. Um, Bo Horvat's going to leave this organization and play the best hockey of his career because that's what people do. I don't think that's necessarily true about Bo Horvat because he's going to be playing in a different role, and we've already seen really impressive. Well, it highs. Definitely could happen. It could. I don't. I wouldn't bet on it. 
if you told me that Brock Besser gets traded somewhere and gets put in a great spot and immediately starts filling yeah, the net. you told me that about Connor Garland. Doesn't surprise, it wouldn't surprise me at all no, if that happens. Absolutely right? not. Um, doesn't mean it's a bad idea to trade him necessarily, but it's something you have to consider, right? And it's hundred percent, yeah. It, it seems at least <laughs> on the table uh, when it comes oh, to Brock. Very Besser. much on the table. Besser is better than he's shown this season, and again, his five on five scoring is actually pretty good. Eleven eleven points in uh, twenty two games, five on five exclusive. Like that's if you have forty four five on five points, even in this new high scoring NHL, you're a top line producer. Like that's that's top ninety. That's gonna be top ninety if you continue that pace. That's gonna do it for us today. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. We'll be back on a Canucks game day tomorrow against the Calgary Flames. It is Sportsnet six fifty.